It's time for some cheap talk. You're listening to Trick Chat. Hello, hello, this is Robin Banner from Cheap Trick, and you're listening to Cheap Talk. Welcome to the show. It's a brand new day. Welcome to the show. It's Ken and BJ. Hey, what's up? Here we are. I'm Ken Mills, one of your hosts today, and you are listening to Cheap Talk. As usual, I am joined by the lovely and the effervescent Brian Cramp. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Hello there, ladies and gents. Today we're going to be talking about Rockford. I'm kind of excited, aren't you, BJ? Very and we are joined by Robert Lawson. Robert Lawson, tell us the name of your book and let folks know where they can find it. My new book is Still Competition, The Listener's Guide to Cheap Trick. It's available on all uh, international Amazon sites. Uh, Barnes & Noble in the States carries it. Indigo and Chapters in Canada has it, although they, uh, they're a little more expensive than if you just order it directly off Amazon uh, or from me. Mm-hmm. And you can even get it signed from you, right? Yeah, for some reason, some people think that that's uh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's kind of ridiculous, but uh, yeah, you can get a signed copy from me for your collection, and uh, that'll immediately devalue it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we want to encourage folks to check it out. I love the books that have been written about Cheap Trick, and including Michael Hayes' wonderful book, Reputation is a fragile thing. Yeah, great one. We love Mike. Hey, Mike, how you doing, buddy? What a great guy. Today we're going to be talking about Rockford. Side one, and Rolling Stone magazine declared Rockford one of the best rock albums of 2006. Hopefully Rockford will actually have sides someday. Like Record Store Day, they could put it out on vinyl. That oh, yeah. Really cool. Yeah, excellent. That would be great. They they still got to do the '97 album though. I love the I I love Woke Up with a Monster, the vinyl they put out for that. Yeah. And BJ, what are your initial thoughts of Rockford, just off the top of your head? I love it, love it, love it, love it. Great album, like every song. Robert, your thoughts? Uh, I'm not too far behind. I think it's a it's a great great record uh, for a band that's mostly known for their '70s work and some of the kind of pop hits that they had in the 80s or 90s uh just a just a great record if, if you think that they're a band just of the past and that they're not a contemporary uh, active group of musicians i think rockford is a great place to start you know i'm a big fan of the 1997 self-titled album but rockford for the modern era is uh, right up there for me i love it it's a great record i've been listening to it a lot in the last couple of weeks in uh, prep for this talk and uh, it just, it, it, I never get tired of it. It's a great record. If, if you're a Cheap Trick fan and you don't want to have everything that they've ever put out, that's okay, but you got to have Rockford. Mm. I look at this album kind of like, let's take a look back at the past, right? You've got the original Cheap Trick album and then the Cheap Trick 97 album that came out. It almost reminds me of Standing on the Edge, that album. I don't know if that makes any sense to anyone else, but it kind of has the same similar feeling to me. 
I think there are a lot there are a lot of moments on this album that harken back to different previous albums. You yes. know, some of the songs you could say this would fit on that album, mm-hmm. this would fit on that. I mean, it's crazy. There was only one record in between the '97 album and this, and that is what used to be my least favorite Cheap Trick album. Which is so I was thinking like when this record came out in 2006, so that's like. It was 2006. It doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but it was a different world. There was no right. Facebook. There wasn't like YouTube. It wasn't. It's very different than you know where we're at now. When a new album comes out, and you've got you know all over Facebook, you just see all kinds of commentary and people freaking out over it like it's the greatest thing ever. Mm-hmm. I don't know what my expectations were because I was very underwhelmed by special ones. So. And I don't really remember if there was a lot of build-up or promotion for this record, or if it just kind of, it was kind of like, oh, there's a new Cheap Trick album, really? I don't really remember exactly, but I think it was kind of like that. And uh, so, you know, getting it, the cover art is so awesome. Yeah, the whole packaging is great. And then, you know, putting the record on, it's, I, w- I remember, I was just ecstatic. I was so blown away. I thought it was one of their best albums ever. I still, I still think it ranks right up there in terms of quality with almost any cheap trick album. And like I said, I don't know what my expectations would have been because I, you know, was not a huge fan of special one. And then all of a sudden here's this album and it's just like, my God, this is unbelievably great. And I mean, this deep into their career, almost 30 years in no other band has even come close to putting out this kind of quality that deep into their career, you know? Mm-hmm. It had been three years since we had Special One, just to kind of set the stage of where we were at. Uh, the band promoted the album through appearances on Sirius and XM satellite radio networks and a North American tour. There is one animated video shot for the song Welcome to the World. The album was not a major commercial success, like the band's last several studio albums. However, it did peak at 101 on the Billboard 200 album charts. It reached number 84 on the Japan album chart. The album cover was used for Rockford's vehicle registration stickers in 2007. That's pretty cool, huh? Yeah, and I still have a license plate. The plastic thing that goes around the license plate, I still have it on my car. It says Cheap Trick on the top and Rockford on the bottom that they put out when when this album came out. Very cool. Love it. So let's take a listen as we do the track by track. Are we doing the plus one thing or the Michael Butler scoring? Yeah. Yeah. You can give it a one, a half or a zero. So we're going to use the Michael Butler scale here. and We're going to give each track a rating, a one, a half or a zero. Okay. Okay. So the first track, Welcome to the World. Welcome to the world. It's a brand new day. Brian, what do you think of Welcome to the World? It's amazing. It's so great. I love it. It's a perfect opening song for the album. The melodies are wonderful, beautiful. It's short and sweet. Uh, I think we're going to get into it later, but this song has like the biggest, fullest production probably of any song on the album. 
lots of guitar tracks. There's a little synth in the background. There's a great drum sound. The lyrics are great. You know, I think Rick wrote it when it, for his grandchild, I think. And yeah. it's funny, 2006 is the year that my daughter was born, and I wrote a similar song. <laughs> you know, I, I guess uh, the birth of a grandchild or a child is something that makes probably lots of people. I mean, we've heard lots of songs about that, right? What an amazing song! Just great. Couldn't couldn't be better, really, to me. Robert Lawson. I love it as well. I think it's a great kickoff to the album. There's a real brief uh, twin lead guitar part in it that I just love, and that's something that uh, they don't really do too often uh, on their songs. So every time that little uh, twin lead thing comes up, I'm sure it's Rick playing both parts. Uh, I love it. It's a one. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I love how they mix uh, Birthday in there a little bit. Like You almost get the vibe that they could just riff into the Beatles' Today is Your Birthday, right? There's that little bit in there. I love this track. It's to me. Anytime I think about someone being born, this is one of the first thing that pops into my head. So, and this one was written by Rick, Robin, Tom, and Bunny. So, yeah, they've got uh, every band member's name is on every song, and that's one thing I was wondering because, I mean, to me, I hear a lot of Rick Nielsen on this record. I think it was just a choice to give every band member writing credit on every song, it seems. What a great line. Before we met, I knew ya. The lyrics are great on this song. Love it. Great. Isn't the order of the songwriting credits, Cheap Trick seems to, whoever's name is first, it seems like that's who brought it to the band. And then whoever worked on it after that. So Bun is always last, but the other three kind of alternate according to who actually I guess started the song. Yeah, that's kind of a standard thing, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I'm not so sure you can trust it anymore. So Rick's name is first on this one. Right, and and as you mentioned, we'd heard that he wrote it for uh, for the birth of a grandchild. So that makes sense that he he brought it to the band first. Of course, everyone adds their parts, so they all get a little piece of the pie. And you'll see that with uh, the next song, because it's none of their names are first. <laughs> yeah. Right. All right, so what's our vote for Welcome to the World? Huge plus one. The Butler scale is limiting because I always say that because, you know, you give this two different songs a one and one of them might be a 10 and one of them might be a six or a five, you know? Right. <laughs> so, but yeah, huge one. I, I log in with a one and Robert, you also log in with a one. Yes. Our next track, Perfect Stranger.
it's all about Perfect Stranger. It's a great song. As Robert alluded to, uh, co-written by Linda Perry, who at this at this point was kind of a hit maker, like writing for Pink, I think, people like that. You know, of course, she's from Four Non Blondes, famous for the yodeling song. Luckily, there's no yodeling on on this song. And I think she produced it, too. The production is great. I mean, when the song kicks off, the rhythm section kicks in, and then Robin comes in, and then Rick's guitar drops in, and I like that a lot. I think it has a great verse, great bridge, great chorus. It's a really good song. I like it a lot. One thing that makes this album so great for me is Rick's backing vocals are all over this thing. Yes. And so many of the songs, there's lots of great Rick, you know, background vocals, which I always love. Or Rickisms, as we call them. Rickisms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh, this song has a nice little breakdown bridge kind of part. We all start as strangers. That's a great part. Yeah, it's a great song. I love it. Robert Lawson. Well, I think I believe that this song is is primarily written by Linda Perry. Uh, that's why her name is first. Uh, I know I read an interview with Rick, and he just said uh, some, something along the lines of, well, it's not the kind of song that we would, we would write. So I think it, I don't know how much of it was done by Linda Perry, but I'm going to guess the majority of it. And Brian's correct that this is the one song where Cheap Trick are not credited as producers. You know, uh, the album is credited being produced by Cheap Trick, and then every song has co-producers. But this is the only song on the whole album that uh, they make a note of saying that it's only produced by Linda Perry. Uh, this is also the only song that her studio is credited, which is Kung Fu Garden in Los Angeles. Uh, there's like eight different recording studios used for this album, but uh, this is the only song recorded at Kung Fu Garden. So I think it's really a Linda Perry uh, project, and I think it's great. I, I have no issues with it. I kind of wonder why they didn't get her to do more with the album. I do have a few questions about the production side of the album. But uh, but this is, yeah, it's a great song. I, I give it a plus one. And another thing, uh, it's it's also the only song, I think, in the album that there's no alternate version out there of it, right? Which yes. makes you think Linda Perry's got a little better handle on keeping those rough mixes from getting into the wrong hands. Or yeah. uh, I don't know how that stuff gets out there, but uh, she didn't let anything get out there, apparently. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, if whether or not it's written by her or how much, what percentage of it, it still sounds like a cheap trick song and fits really well on the album. So that's impressive that it's, yep. uh, yeah. Yeah, she might have written it specifically for this project. Right. Knew enough yeah. about cheap trick to kind of tailor it to their uh, strengths. Because you're, you're absolutely right. If you didn't look at the credits, there's no reason to think that an outside songwriter did it. So it's right. that's just a testament to her talent, I guess, that she could really write a proper cheap trick song as far as perfect stranger it's one of my least favorite tracks on the album not sure why i've always thought that the the saying perfect stranger was just very weird i never really got it don't be ridiculous <laughs> Yeah. 
That's fantastic, guys. Man, that sounded good. I'll tell you what, when, when I read some of the stuff that's on the internet, I almost imagine this is what the band thinks about people that post about their private lives and stuff like that. You know, I don't need someone driving me insane telling me how to live my life, so. Yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, it's about, yeah, it's about people who act like they're perfect and they're judging you. I, I get that. It, I think it's probably, if Linda Perry wrote the lyrics, then maybe that's why for you, they don't seem like, they don't seem like Rick Nielsen lyrics, right? Yeah, but, that's that's it right there. There's nothing wrong with them. They're serviceable. Yeah. They're fine. They just... Rickisms, right? What does "perfect stranger" mean to you? When when I say that, what does that mean? And don't say the second song off our rock group. What does that uh, say? I think of the TV show. Wasn't there a TV show called "Perfect Strangers" right. in the eighties? So we want to clear this up that that was this this song is not an homage <laughs> to Balky Bartok. Oh, that was the Balky show, right? Yeah, and and his cousin Laddie. Hello, cousin Laddie. Seriously, what's that phrase mean, perfect stranger? I, I think of the uh, 1984 Deep Purple album by the, yeah. the same name. <laughs> right, but Which you're not the... you're not answering my question. I mean, think about that. A perfect stranger, to me, perfect is perfection. And a stranger, those two things don't... A complete stranger makes more sense to me. I think the phrase is actually uh, British. So I, I, I think same, same perfect actually means the same thing as like a complete stranger yeah just uh right yeah i think that's more the source of it we'll be back to the weird things can get hung up on later <laughs> but, you, but but you know about about the lyrics to it i find the the kind of paranoia in in the song of uh the way it's talking about outsiders and all that i think that it actually is pretty rick nielsen like you know there's a certain point I guess it's the Dream Police album where, and uh, and even All Shook Up, where more of his lyrics kind of reflected that kind of thing. There's a lot of paranoia and stuff about, you know, people coming to get me, and and that's a, that's a, like a shift in his lyrics mm-hmm. that I don't I don't know if people talk about too much. You know, he he's always a very creative lyricist, but there's a certain point uh, where it seems like there's a lot of uh, you know they're coming to get me and not trusting outsiders. And so I think this song actually fits in quite well with that. If Linda Perry did write it, then that's even more of a testament to her that she's able to capture Rick's kind of, uh, you know, uh, paranoia, I guess, of uh, being followed or having people judging him or. Right. Yeah. And good, good, good lyrics. I think, you know, it's, it's they're open to interpretation and then you get out of them, whatever you want to get out of them and they don't have to be so it doesn't have to be so obvious what it's about you know right right so let's give it a, a score gentlemen robert lawson your score i i give it a plus one mr cramp well spoiler alert i can make this easy i give every song a plus one yeah oh, <laughs> so... oh. <laughs> I, I, yeah i was gonna say i don't think michael's scoring system is gonna work for this because the whole record is just so great yeah, it's all a plus one for me. Well, after special one. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I'm going to give it a, a half. Robert, are you writing this down because you're responsible? <laughs> oh, I'm quite responsible. <laughs> Damn it, if you're going to be on this show, we're putting you to work. So 
get a little pad. I think, I think we only need to keep track of yours, Ken. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brian and mine are going to be. We're 12s. <laughs> <laughs> I would hate to be accused of being uh, irresponsible and lazy. So get I'm on going with it. To, I'm get going on to, with uh, it. Get on with hard. it. I'm, I'm not really irresponsible. I'm just lazy. Our next song, If It Takes a Lifetime. interesting tune uh co-produced by julian raymond who now uh is like a fifth member of the band it's got a really great rumbling bass from tom and near the end of the song there's a, a string section that sounds to me like it might even be uh, played backwards uh-huh. it's an odd little part and it kind of increases in the intensity i think that they're running the, the tape uh, in reverse and there was a single edit of this song that's kind of weird uh, little Steven Van Zandt, my personal hero, uh, did an edit version for a promotional single, and all it really does is kind of fade in a little early, and it it, it really removes about 42 seconds of the song. Not really a, a noticeable edit by any means. Uh, it's not a remix, as some people think. It sounds exactly the same. It's just like 42 seconds shorter, so I don't really know what the point of that was. Uh, but if Steven got paid to do it, it's a pretty good gig. Mm-hmm. Brian Cramp, your thoughts? I love this song. I would say it's one of my, I mean, I have a lot of favorites, but it's one of my favorite Cheap Trick songs. Uh, so melodic and just a great pop song, a great pop rock song. Mm-hmm. I love the opening riff, which reminds me of Let Go, kind of, from Lap of Luxury. Yeah. Robin, part of the verse, he's kind of delicate, and then he just lets loose for the second half like of the lines on the on the verse and then the chorus is just it's a constructed melody yes this is the kind of melodicism that's missing from those recent albums if you've heard the episodes we did about bang zoom and we're all all right you know i'm pretty neutral about those records like they're not they're not bad songs but nothing really stands out and this song this whole album is explanation for why I'm underwhelmed by those recent records because there's so much on this album that's missing from those albums and just the wonderful melodicism of this song and the great huge chorus 
It's just such great pop songwriting. Mm-hmm. This song also has Robin Taylor Zander on backing vocals, so that's a, mm-hmm. a sign of the times there that we, uh, of course, we're dealing with now in 2018. Yeah, and he must have been a teenager. Yeah, or, right. Yeah. Like... So he's been working on Cheap Trick albums for a very long time. <laughs> this song kind of reminds me of You're All I Want to Do. It's similar in uh, theme and setup. You know what I mean? As far as how they constructed it. Do you see that at all, Brian? Or am I crazy? Yeah, I see what you're saying. And yeah, both just incredible pop rock songs, you know, with great melodies and great choruses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Robin's doing the same sort of vocal techniques at the same times in the song. Right. The soft and then the crazier voice, if you are, the, the more rock voice. I love it when Robin does that. You know, that's that's almost like a trademark of his. And I guess Rick writes specifically for that. That yep. it can be this real uh, a dreamy kind of part, um, nice like Beatle kind of harmony. And then he just unleashes this roar. And uh, he's one of the only guys, I think, that can do that or, or who has done it so consistently uh-huh. to like trade off between two different uh, voices within the same song. You know, you don't hear that with a lot of guys. One, two, one, two, three.
if it takes a lifetime cheap well, that's trick. that's the first time we ever did that. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, Bob. There's an exclusive train wreck for you. <laughs> hey, you know, we meant to put through all those bad notes in there. <laughs> <laughs> Rock and roll is not meant to be perfect, guys. You know you that. that right. <laughs> we, we built an entire career on that. Proved that one. So I give this one a one, and you two gentlemen log in as a one as well. So pretty good. And I got to see this song live once in Naperville, Illinois, and I was so excited to be able to experience that because I just really love this song. Our next track, track four, Come On, Come On, Come On. <laughs> I can only hope that on the new Cheap Trick album, there's a song called Come On, Come On, Come On, Come On. Don't give them any ideas. <laughs> Brian Cramp, your thoughts on Come On, Come On, Come On. Yeah, this comes from the Red Ant demos, right, Robert? Yes. Uh, at least an instrumental version of it was from that. And um, I always, you know, the Baby Talk started as a song called Down, Down. And then this song, he says, down, down, down. And I listen to this and I try to hear if maybe the roots of this song came out of the same thing as Baby Talk. Um, not really sure. but And also, you know, I know the song Downed was called Down, Down originally, I think, mm-hmm. in, the, in like 75. And it was a heavier, a heavier song. Like that, that kind of spacey guitar part. Tom Werman suggested that they like flesh the song out with that, but like the original version of Downed was simpler and I think heavier. So I think this song has a lot of roots, and of course the title, referencing back to another old song. This is a this I don't know exactly what all of the root elements of this song are, but I would say this is my least favorite song on the album, but I still like it a lot. Um, but yeah, it's probably my least favorite. Hmm. Robert Lawson, your thoughts on Come On, Come On, Come On. Oh, sorry, am I on this? I, I'm so used to listening to your guys' podcast, I forgot I'm actually here. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just listen to you guys all the time. You never you never answer back when I respond uh, when I'm listening to the episode, so this is, this is a surreal experience for me. Uh, I like this song a lot. I think that, the, you know, it's got a real propulsive kind of bass to it. The guitar solo is red hot, but I don't know, I, this... The title, is, to me, is uh, maybe a little gimmicky, in that obviously we're gonna. There's no way you can talk about it without talking about the 1977 In Color album. So it's almost like a, like a, well, it's a cheap trick, I guess. You know, using that same title, that is a bit of a cheap trick. <laughs> <laughs> and Come On, Come On is one of my favorite cheap trick songs of all cheap trick songs. So top ten. Top ten all the way. Top ten all the way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, it's weird when you do a search for this online, (laughs) it's hard to find anything about this version of Come On, Come On, Come On, because you almost will find lyrics or anything for just Come On, Come On. So. Yeah, so I think that in a a way that could kind of keep the song from being fully appreciated, because it just seems like maybe it's a knockoff of the original song and it really has no relation there's nothing right. to do with it no. 
Um, Robin is credited first, so it seems that the song would have originated with him, which is kind of interesting. Um, but that could just be a rhythm part or some chords. Well, I read I read something that said that Robin, I think Robin like wrote the melody of the lyrics or or did a lot of work on that. Uh, maybe Rick wrote the music, and then Robin took that and turned it into this. Sure. Um, yeah. According to what I'm reading here, "Come On, Come On, Come On" was lyrically redone by Xander, who took it in a different direction. Nielsen added, "It was a great instrumental ba- basic track." And certain tracks you can go one way or you completely go another way. But you know, we work together, so it's not like this is my idea or your idea. Who cares?
Robin did a ton of work on this record. I remember yeah. hearing about it, and you know, it was recorded at all these different studios. And I know that Robin was, you know, he did tons of vocal tracks on this, and lots of, you know, Robin did a lot of work on this to to make it great, to help make it great. So, yeah, and you know, you mentioned the recording of this album. This album wasn't done in one setting like a lot of albums are done, where they take like a month or two months and block it out. They literally did this one as they were on tour, L.A., New York, Boston, Rockford, Chicago, Nashville, Florida, and, and on and on. So it for, for an album that was recorded with different assistant producers and different studios, it sounds amazingly cohesive. True, yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things about the production I, I wanted to mention, actually. Well, elaborate. Well, I just don't, I guess I just don't really understand why there's so many different producers when the album does sound so cohesive. Like, if, if the record just said produced by, you know, Cheap Trick and Jack Douglas or, you know, Cheap Trick and anybody, I would buy it. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think, well, you know, there's, you know, some of those songs really stand out. Those sound different than, than the others. And, you know, that's a, another thing with the Linda Perry track. If you didn't read that credit that says that that song was produced solely by her, uh, I don't think you'd you'd notice that. Like it no. all it all sounds like one, it, you know. It's almost like the '97 Cheap Trick. It sounds like they banged it all out in one uh, session, which is right. you know it, it's testament to them being professionals. But I just don't understand why like every single song has different co-producers uh, listed because I don't think you necessarily need any of those guys. Well, it it was all mixed in one place at one time, so. That's probably what really helped it be as cohesive as it is, right? They definitely, they definitely didn't need Albini. <laughs> well, yeah, but you know what? I um, there's a Billboard magazine, or it might be Billboard Online. There was an interview with Tom shortly after this album came out, and he said that the whole album was mixed by Albini to give it that cohesive sound, and uh, the liner notes just don't support that. You know, they list a guy named Stephen Thompson with mixing the album. So I don't know why in this interview, Tom Peterson says that Albini kind of finished the whole record. Uh, if he did, that's definitely not what the credits support. Well, maybe he oversaw it and the guy did the actual work. Like, that happens a lot nowadays. Sure. You know. Yeah, maybe. What's our vote on this one? It's a plus one with me for sure. Yeah, I give him all ones. All right, I'll give it a one as well. I might have a half somewhere in there, but we're not there yet. <laughs> Our next song, Eau Claire. <laughs> Which is not to be confused with any other Cheap Trick song by a similar name. Here we go again. Yeah, <laughs> another Cheap Trick. This is one of my favorite songs on the album. It's just absolutely stunning. It, uh, I love this so much. It's got so many things that I love about Cheap Trick's writing. Uh, the, the Leninisms, the Beatlisms, it's all there. And I love that Rick sings the, the opening part. 
What do you think, Brian? Yeah, this is a great song, of course. Uh, great songwriting. I think it would benefit from a bigger production. Uh, maybe like more acoustic guitars, maybe some real strings in the background. Uh, just a fuller sound, because this is such a great song that I would love to hear it give like given like a Dream Police Dream Police production. But yeah, I love this song, and you know, of course, it's a callback to that the, what's tacked on to the end of Heaven Tonight, which Brad Elvis told me that that little instrumental bit is how they open their set before they wrote Hello There. Mm. They would they would open their set with that, and that was kind of a sound check you know so as they're playing that the sound man can be adjusting the you know the different instruments and whatever um so it's a little callback and you know i mean they called that eau claire because of course oh candy oh caroline yeah. eau claire but this version they leave off the h <laughs> to kind of set it apart i guess or they could have called it eau claire eau claire eau claire <laughs> oh man but, uh... <laughs> But yeah, great, great song. And Rick sounds great, uh, you know, the parts that he sings. So, Yeah, I love I love hearing him. Uh, but it's amazing because I've played it for people and they don't pick up on the fact that it's a different singer. Yeah, you can almost think it's Robin sometimes when Rick sings, you know. I, he'd, obviously, he doesn't have the range of Robin, but Rick ha always had a great singing voice. I love his voice. Yeah, but even though he does... Lots of wacky stuff on his background vocals. You know, he can sing. He could always sing. So. Yeah, the phrasing and the, the choices that he makes, uh, you can you can imagine that the demos that he presents to Robin, that the vocals, I mean, we heard it with World's Greatest Lover, that right. a lot of the, the phrasing and the vocal choices are, are identical. So uh, I agree 100%. He, he likes to get pretty wacky with the backing vocals, and I love it. But when he sings a song straight, him and Robin do sound sound pretty similar. Uh -huh. It says here that Nielsen revealed that it was a song that he wrote a long time ago and had always wanted to finish it. Nielsen performs the intro vocals, to which he joked, It's tough. I had to do it 5,000 times to make it sound that bad. Robin could do it like <laughs> in two seconds. But it's the emotion of, you know, the world's greatest lover with me singing. I'm nowhere near as good a singer as Robin. But I just have a different emotion to it. If we did all the harmonies with him singing all the background harmonies like other bands do, like other bands do, it wouldn't sound like a real band. They get me because it sounds kind of crummy. It makes the stuff sound more believable or something. It's kind of old-fashioned. I always say, even the toughest guys you see, when they're with a girl... The girlfriend, they're all sissies just like we are. So you know, that emotion, I don't mind doing a song that sounds old-fashioned because we're kind of an old-fashioned band. When Robin came and did the chorus and the song really built up to what I had envisioned, we tried it through the years. It was never right, and we finally got it. That was the only song that was kind of old on the album. Yeah, actually in 1979, Rick is actually quoted in a Rolling Stone article. He says... Quote, I have one called Eau Claire. It's a romantic song about a couple who marry and grow old together. But in the end, the guy dies of a heart attack. I really love the intro and outro that uh, Rick sings. And I, I agree with Brian that an even bigger kind of Beatles-type production would really fit the song. I think if they had held on to the song or if they had um, 
recorded it for the latest, we probably would have seen uh, more of a large scale production for it. But the, uh, the the demo that exists of it, it's just an instrumental, but it actually doesn't have that intro and outro part, like the real soft kind of ballad part that Rick sings. Uh, the instrumental demo just goes straight into the song. So uh, I have the idea that they added that uh, at the last minute.
Well, I hate to break it to you guys, but both of you can fuck right off on that. It's perfect as it is. I'm, I'm glad to have this version. I love it. I love it. I love it. I don't think either of us said that we didn't love it. I know, but <laughs> saying that the production could be better, like I said, you both can fuck right off. It's perfect. So. Oh, my. Oh, oh! Great song. Love it. One of the highlights of the album for me, for sure. You know, I think Rick is way too fucking hard on himself. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, yeah, he's self-deprecating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love your vocals, Rick. Uh, keep them coming, buddy. If Robin is the man of a thousand voices, Rick can do a couple of them. You know, he can match a couple of <laughs> of the Robin's thousand, I think. There's been times I thought it was Robin that Rick's done some stuff and I've always looked at it as Rick is so glad that he found Robin because he could voice everything that Rick wanted to but Rick just doesn't see himself as a singer I personally would love to to hear a Rick Nielsen solo album I really would like to check that out just to see what he would do with no rules or restrictions or preconceived notion you know what I'm saying there's definitely a song on uh, We're All Alright that every time I hear it, I think it's Rick singing. I don't know what it is off the top of my head right now. That's that punky one. Yeah, like it really just sounds like every time I hear it, I, I open the credits book to make sure that it's Robin. So they're pretty similar. I guess they've yeah. been working together for over 40 years. You start to uh, uh, get influenced by each other. Two men that share a voice, Rick would say Robin shares it better. Right. Yeah, nowhere, right? Well, it's it's a wonderful partnership. Yeah, absolutely. Them, right? <laughs> I, I believe the song you were referencing is Nowhere, right? Right. One's all across the board on this one. It's it's a track six. This time you got it.
Dawson. Yeah, this is kind of a fun tune coming off of uh, Rick singing uh, during Eau Claire. This one actually starts with him just with like a, a little giggle, if you listen closely, uh, right at the beginning of the song. And there's a great piano part right in the middle of the tune. And it also has this neat little or a fun little stop and start thing with the drums. I like it a lot. Uh, this tune also has an ascending guitar part that they often uh, put in the songs. Really a, a song that sounds like it would just be great live. Uh, I give it a plus one. Mm-hmm. Mr. Cramp. I love this song. It opens with a big yeah from Robin. There's a lot of Robin yeahs on this song that are like... Uh, in Cat Stop Falling Into Love in the video, you know, with the word balloon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's so many of those big yeahs on this record, which are great. Albini figured out how to record Cheap Trick without burying the vocals, which which is good. Uh, this is, it's kind of got a lo-fi production on some of these songs, like this one, where it's just, it's kind of sounds live in the studio, almost. Some of the songs I think would have benefited from just a little more tracks and production but i love this song it's a classic sounding cheap trick song and it's rick backing vocals on it uh robert mentioned the stop the it's the same kind of a thing that they did in baby talk on the second verse where it stops and then kicks in yeah after each line that's awesome there's some good lyrics on the song and there's some bad lyrics i don't know if ken if you were going to mention the cringy moment in the song um Please in go. the right in the right erection <laughs> it was pointing at you <laughs> that was, um, but there's some there's some great lyrics you know not rich enough to pay my dues lost the key to you looking for notes in this song I, I like I like most of the lyrics and then there has to be that one part that's kind of like a what's the line that from the recent album that you look at my hands look at the size size. in the right erection is kind of a look at the size moment (laughs) yeah and then later when it talks about you can't have enough it it kind of uh for foreshadows what's coming later in decaf Mm -hmm. the addiction kind of thing or the, Mm -hmm. the want for something fun song i was going to mention that i'm glad that you took the hit on that one for me thank you It was pointing at you. It's pointing at you, Ken. Swing, swing, tentpole. Yeah, I, I got a lot of shit on Facebook when I said that about look at the size, look at the size. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, it's one of those things that like, what was it Jim Morrison said? The, the little girls know what the men don't understand or whatever. All the girls on the uh, Cheap Talk Facebook page seem to really like that song for, for a certain reason. <laughs> it's no log in your fireplace. <laughs> but then again, you know, you only get a chance to write that lyric once in life. And Cheap Trick is glad they didn't. So we give this one three thumbs up, three plus ones, please, right? All of, yeah, one, sure. Oh, yeah. One's all across the board, and it's, it's aimed right at you. <laughs> That's a great song. Yikes. Uh, an erect one. And, a, and it's aimed right at you. <laughs> it's, point, it's pointing at you. Yeah. Look at the side. I just look at the side. <laughs> look at the size. Look at the size. And Robert Lawson, your book, Still Competition, is out and available. Where can folks get it? Uh, they can order a signed copy directly from me 
through my website, this side of the tracks.ca, or you can order it off Amazon and uh, they'll get you a copy right away. Very good. Make it part of your cheap trick library, which there should be more books about cheap trick. Definitely. I think a band that's been around for as long as they have and had such a varied and interesting career, it's weird to me that there haven't been more books written about them. There's hundreds of Beatles and Dylan and uh, Elvis books. Uh, Cheap Trick have been around for over 40 years, and that seems uh, that, you know, you could write a whole book just about, like, the Dream Police album or something. Jesus Christ, what are you doing? Shoveling snow while you're talking? <laughs> <laughs> There was something drug across something. Yeah, that, whatever that was. Sounds mm. like you're moving gravel. Are you shoveling gravel? Well, I figure he's in Canada. He's still shoveling snow, so it's a year-round thing up there. If you don't have Rockford, go out and buy it. Adopt a cheap trick album that you don't have. Make, Bring it into your home. Give it a nice home. Give your ears something good. So... We want to thank you for being with us today as we discuss Rockford. Side one. Alrighty, well, we will see you on the next episode of Cheap Talk. Cheap Talk. i got to work on my falsetto. One down, one to go. Alrighty, well, we will see you on the next episode of Cheap Talk. We'll see you. Bye. And that's our show. Trick Chat is an online nonprofit audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to Cheap Trick or any of their members past or present. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes to buy it. If you enjoyed this show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying keep cheap tricking. Get on with it. Get on with it. Get on with it.